Welcome to my podcast, Pada Dad. Through my exciting episodes, we are going to discover more about ballet and life. Today, I'm going to interview my Pada Dad friend, Oliver Eastwood. We used to dance together as a professional ballet dancer, and currently he works at the theater. He's going to tell us all about the struggle in the theater with COVID 19 and his experience of being a ballet dancer and retiring from the ballet dancer. Welcome to my podcast, Oliver. Tell us everything about yourself. What am I? I'm,、uh, I'm 34 this weekend.、Um, need to be fun. I have three kids、uh, Finley, who is six, Harriet, who is three and a half, Matilda, who will be、uh, six months in a couple of weeks.、Um, she was born five weeks before lockdown. I'm married、uh, to Helen, as you well know.、Um, and I work, well, Loosely work at the moment, I guess, because there's lots of furlough and part time, etc. At Sheffield Theatres,、um, as the deputy marketing, deputy communications manager, even,、um, and that comprises of the Cusco and Lyceum and Studio Theatres, one of the biggest、uh, theatre venues outside of London.、Um, well known for theatre musicals, West End, and World Stupor, which is currently happening. And before all that, I, I used to.、Um, And dance around with you guys again. Please tell me about、um, your job. What do you do now?、Uh, well, well, at the moment,、um, yeah. the past five years, I worked at Sheffield Theatres,、uh, which、um, is a big producing house、um, in Sheffield, familiar enough.、Um, which the Crucible is a big producing house, and we have the Lyceum, which is a big presenting house. And then we have a studio which is a mixture of produced and presented work.、Um, it is the biggest and best、um, awards packet up、uh, venue outside of London and a lot better than lots of venues inside of London.、Um, so, a real privilege to work there、um, and very well known for the Super, the World Super Champions, which is happening as we speak. Um, so I've worked there for five years as deputy communications manager,、uh, which basically means、uh, I get people in to see the shows.、Um, which at the moment、um, there's no shows to see. So、um, I've been furloughed for a while. I've been working a little bit furloughed and then part time. And、um, very sadly, we've,、um, this is whole redundancy process that started a couple of weeks ago. I thankfully. Um, and safe, but、um, a lot of my friends and colleagues、uh, are not, which is, is really sad and a lot like in different venues. So, yeah, kind of simple, but it's a wonderful place, a great place. Excellent. Thank you, Oliver. <clears throat> so, maybe you can talk to us about where you were born and、uh, you know, how you started to, how, how you began into a dancing career. Yeah,、um, so I'm from Modern, still live there. And at five, I went to a local dance school, and my teachers were Nikki and Neil McMahon.、Uh, Nikki worked at the Moulin Rouge 
Ludo for another year in Paris, uh, Ludo, forgive me. And Neil worked in the language as well, but um, was a soloist for Scottish Ballet as well, uh, which is you and me now, and um, is a very good level. Um, so uh, Nikki was from Melbourne, so they moved there and said, that's cool, much, much like you and that. Uh, so I went there and really just never left. And there was lots of boys there at the time, which was really good. And because Neil was a male teacher, that was kind of really fun. And just kind of went and went and never left. And as, as I went, just took them all on. Um, and at 16, uh, stayed on there whilst I went to college. Decided not to go to a family vocational school at 16 or 18. Um, mainly because the training I got there was good, but also helped me do education, but also just finances. Um, I'm one of on the eldest of four kids and going to London to a central or even central by of all family just wasn't feasible. And also um, I guess I was impatient just to do it, do you know what I mean? I think sometimes people go for training for a long time and don't get out of training until about twenty. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to stop at like twenty six, seven, eight. Do you know what I mean? Because you're just gonna be done with so best to get on. But, um, so yeah, that's kind of how it all went, and just yeah, I just never left, and I just enjoyed it. I think at sixteen, I just made a decision of yeah, I'll concentrate on this, and then never applied for uni. So when I finished college, I was like, okay, just go to the auditions, just go to auditions and try and work it out. Hopefully, something would happen. Yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. Once you left the dance school, you know, it, um, after you left the college and you did the dance training as an after school hobby, and after you have left the college, what type of dance job have you got first? Did you go straight into the ballet or did you do anything else first? No, so my first job was on a cruise ship at just an 18 Norwegian Dream, uh, which uh, travelled through the Caribbean, I'm trying to remember where it went. It went from New Orleans, which is beautiful and very lucky because it went from New Orleans before then the, the floods they had a few years ago. There beforehand so from New Orleans, went to Roatan, um, which is in Honduras, we went to Belize, um, and a couple of different Mexican places as well, one being Cosmo. Um, so I did that. Um, and that came back and went to audition for Dina Mines, the company, the, the, the uh, company that supplied the dancers for um, uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines, uh, who are based in Florida. And we went to the audition and went well, got a job. And um, I actually, um, the way cruise ships work, you would go to Florida, to Fort Lauderdale, and you'd rehearse, and then go on the ship as a, as a group or troop of one. Uh, but for me on the first job was slightly different because they went and after a month one of the guys got injured I think he was injured or left or whatever and he left there so they needed someone to go straight there well I, I got a phone call whenever like one in the morning because they were on American time and then like a week later I flew over there to New Orleans we'd go straight onto the ship and I, they had three shows a week so I had to learn the um, three different shows told by the dance captain 
and it is hard, man, for this kind of life. Then I don't bother up to the like Jazz and Joseph and all that. It was all kind of show stuff and all the type like this, which I found really difficult. Um, but it was really, like, again, I'm like, oh my God, I'm saying, like, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> um, but it was a really good experience. So I did that and then um, did another cruise ship after that. They did a few kind of small jobs and I went to Bally Wales just over three years. Um, and then, um, yeah, so Bally Wales three years and then did uh, Rice Opera in Holland and then I did a contemporary contract in Newcastle, yeah. The kind of main thing. Excellent. Well, thank you, Oliver. So, I believe your highlight, highlight in your career is meeting guys here. Okay, so. Yeah. So, what was, uh, what kind of performance you danced with Daisuke? What kind of performance I danced with Daisuke? Let me think. Um, so, you joined halfway through my second year. We did Romeo and Juliet, weren't we? Yeah, I did 2000. I joined 2008. We did Romeo and Juliet, yeah. Yeah, so that was the second year. So, um, that year in the summer tour before you came, I was doing um, Romeo. And the other show we we're doing was um, oh, under milkwood, wasn't it? So I was doing I was doing Romeo and that, and then under milkwood, number of different characters, which was great. And then you came, and in Romeo and Juliet, you were forgive me, was Mercutio, weren't you? I think something, yeah, well, Mercutio or Paris. I think something, something like that. I remember, I don't remember, but yeah. Right, so my next proper question, which rest of the world is uh, waiting for the answer. Now, it's very rare for you know, people to be a ballet dancer without having a, a vocational ballet training. Most of people go to Royal Ballet School, English National Ballet School, Central Ballet School, Elmhart Ballet School. Like, ballet schools are everywhere these days in the United Kingdom. If you open the ballet school, you know, it's almost guaranteed you have got students. But you, Oliver Eastwood, you're the one of the very rare species, including Olga, I guess. But uh, you haven't ever been to the vocational ballet school, have you? So you, you became a professional straight after college without having a vocational training. Please tell us the all about it or the secret. What is the secret? Secret of doing that. Well, the school I went to, there's a few people and a few boys, especially who did that. And um, so before me, there was a guy called Tom. Um, and uh, Tom Murphy, who um, did loads of stuff for the West End. I think he went to, I think he was at Royal Ballet School for like a year or two when he was really in the White Lodge and left and then uh, he lived around uh, Northern, so um, he then did that. And also another friend of mine called uh, Dominic uh, Vizio, um, who is 50% younger than me, but he started dancing there at 14. And by 18, was in Gibby Elliott and had the most amazing West End career. But he was, you know, when you see some guys and you're like, you can do in like five minutes what I've been trying to do for years. Like, no, ballet technique, you know, his feet and stuff and all that wasn't quite there, but you could just move. Yeah. And he used to do gymnastics, which is a huge help, sing anyway. And oh, really okay. But he just, he had a gift. Oh, I see. The point being that there was a few of us that ended up doing that. I think that's because, 
uh, my teacher, Neil, um, who was a bit um, suspect of the schools a little bit. And so, and I would only, I would only ever have gone to school on his kind of blessing or kind of what he guessed, really, because I had no idea which ones I would go to. You knew what you knew of them, obviously. You met lots of kids from Central, especially you used to come and do classes with Neil, so you met lots of them. Um, but he always thought that I'd never, that we could get away without having to do that. And I think that kind of plan always seemed okay with me. I think I wouldn't have gone at 18 because I think I would have gone at 16. I thought for me at 16 to go to London to a ballet school for three years. I don't know if I just, I don't know if I, I never really wanted to do it. Not a few years, a long time. Um, so anyway, yeah, we decided that we wouldn't kind of do that. And like, knowing that from like 15, 16, so I had kind of two years of going to college and really doing dancing and go back to and a bit, try and get a job. Um, also, I think that always helped um, me because I didn't go to the schools. I didn't have, I think it's close as a minus I didn't have a preconception of what my career should be or what I could do or what I should be doing. And like if you go to say English National Bank, for example, you think, oh, I should be in a top ballet company. But that is it's just not realistic. It's mm-hmm. just and you go, right, I'm going to have to do that, but I won't do this. Same with Central, which I always thought Central was an interesting place because you had Royal, you had English National Ballet, Elmhurst, possibly, and Central was like third or fourth. So the great school and really popular. You didn't do enough musical theatre stuff for people to get that work. And then wasn't elite ballet enough for people to go into ballet world. So a lot of people went there that we worked with. Um, but I think probably I never had a preconception of what I felt I should go into. Do you know what I mean? I didn't feel like oh, I was ballet or whatever. That was never a thing. It was just, all right, I'll get to work. I think I went to open audition and I did cruise ship straight off. And I think some people would be like, now nah, I've gone three years of whatever. I don't want to do that. But for me, it was like, okay, I'm rather than really been anywhere. You want to go on the cruise ship and get paid well, all these different places and dance for a living. Like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, that was always good for me that I had that idea that I would just work. And do that, and I always kind of did ballet class. Um, but by the time like I auditioned for ballet Wales, I'd done a couple of pre-ships, which was hundreds of performances. So you kind of had that under your belt. You had like a confidence and understanding of that. Um, and I think with ballet Wales, the audition I went to was interesting because if you were born in ballet, you can be forgiven for a lot more. Mm. And I was lucky that I was fairly tall, decent to look, and slightly better looking, well, a lot better looking back then. But um, I kind of had that going. And I think, um, you know, you get lucky in audition. And I think once I went to Bally Wales, I think when I went, uh, the first year I was there, there was Christians who went to the Royal Ballet School. Um, with James Foster, who went to the Royal Ballet School and then went to uh, Tree. Yep. There's Eddie, who went to Central. And then the girls were like, 
and everything. International? Oh, she's central. Anyway, out of all these different schools, so that kind of I think drove the thing of all right, like this is this is work, but also a schooling for me. And um, so I worked really hard. I always felt like I needed to prove it. And I think my first year, especially, I was a bit wary. But Darius always liked me, and I think and liked me because I was I was honest and never kind of. Not people like to complain of like what we're doing this for, and because I never had that preconception, it's like you know the pain is like <laughs> the dancer, the dancer actually pay his money. I know it's not great when we buy a check, but he will pay us. Yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, and I think once I got there, then it, it never mattered what what school I'd been to because I'd been working for longer. Excellent. Um, so yeah, it's a matter of luck and also just yeah, having a go. So myself as a ballet dancer, you know, I uh, retired quite early. Uh, I was age of 29. But you, Oliver Eastwood, you retired even earlier than me. How old were you when you retired? About 25. Oh my God. Look, I know the fact there are so many ballet dancers who are forced to retire from injury or burnout or mentally, physically, you know, mentally, physically got really unwell. Yeah, abused, used and abused. But I'm sure you won in that kind of state that you are you know, used and abused. So how come you decided to retire from being a dancer at such a young age? Uh, that, is, that is a good question. I'm not sure I have a brilliant answer to something I asked, my, I asked myself and have asked myself, not so much anymore. Um, but I started when I was 18 working professionally. So I've worked professionally for like seven years. There's a good period of time. Well, I wailed after three years because I, I think I would have to stay there longer, but you know that year four and five would have been the same. And having done like the cruise ship before and different things, it was like, I've done that for a bit and I want to do that and I want to see what else because I knew what we were doing the last really short period of time. And also, I'd seen people, this doesn't include yourself, but who stayed at company for a long time and I didn't, it sounds bad, I didn't kind of want, didn't like the way they, they kind of became, do you know what I mean? Like, they didn't see it as enjoyable, and I always see so that. Um, and then I kind of did a few things, and then obviously uh, I bought a house with Helen, and I was away a lot, um, but still able to get work. Obviously, there's peaks and troughs as it always is, but you know, enough that um, it was all right. And then... I started doing a bit of um, kind of voluntary work just to kind of see what I'd go into next. So that I did a degree uh, whilst at Barry Wales and for well, it took a number of years to finish. Um, I did some of the uh, silly combined bottles off and off. And there uh, was the choreographer that I worked with, the rice opera. And she went, oh, and she was doing um, oh, one of the operas down south, either um, Grange Park. Grange Park was like near Southampton. She's like, oh, do you want to do this summer thing? I remember her showing it me and he was like, right, you'll have to live in London, which I didn't. You'd have to find somewhere to look. You'd have to travel down here like a couple of times a week to do this show. It'd be like for three months and this is what you get paid. I remember looking at it being like, oh, I really don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. Like, 
I get you get to the farm, but it's not a particularly pleasant way of life. And then after that, like growing again. And so yeah, it was that, and it was hard. Like it was hard. Um, but I was happy enough with what I did. Do you know what I mean? And if I thought what else would I have done, I would have done a few kind of offer stuff or little bits of bobs and being very kind of bitty and bobby for maybe a few years and stopped at that, which which could have been fun. But then oh, I have my relationship with Helen, that that's that's not great. I'm just you know, I'm not anywhere stationary, I'm just kind of floating around doing bits and bobs and waiting for the next job or whatever. And that didn't particularly entice me much. And also because I'd always and so not going to vocational school, I'd always done schoolwork and dancing beside that and done the degree and started looking into that side of things and just kind of wanted to concentrate. So yeah, so it was, it was, it was hard to change, but it kind of worked for me. I think in hindsight, I would have been another two, couple of years, I think, would have been cool. But um, I don't, I don't regret kind of leaving that because again, like doing it for seven, like, seven years, seven years. And um, there's always a bonus to me, do you know what I mean? And the fact now that I would struggle to tell you what dad's terminology do is for Bali now, it's, it's, I don't mind that at all. So, uh, so yeah. you technically moved on to the next yeah, stage? Yeah, it was a long time ago for me now, mm. eight, nine years ago. So um, I think it's a lot different from that. But yeah, at, at first it was. It was um, it was difficult, but um, I think whatever, if whenever you leave, I think that's difficult. You know what I mean? And also, there's some people who probably job dancers who don't work off enough to say that they are. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm a ballet dancer. When did you last do a ballet show? About eighteen months ago. Mm-hmm. And does that qualify you as being a dancer? Still, I don't know. He never did for me. Um, so yeah. So yeah, I think it was just that. Excellent. So please tell me, so this is one of the most important questions I've been waiting for to ask. You know this COVID-19, lockdown, it's affecting whole, not just the British economy, but the, this planet Earth economy, especially for the theatre and arts. Now you work in one of the biggest theatres in the United Kingdom, you know, Oliver, am I right? And please tell me, how is it actually affecting from theatre, you know, from your point of view? What is it like? Yeah, so um, I think, as I said um, previously, um, well, for for my point of view, interestingly, um, I was on paternity leave for four weeks with Matilda. Um, And then I went back in the office for one week in mid-March. They've not stepped inside the building since. So five five months nearly. Um, and we have not done a show since March. And we will not put another show on a full show. Right, um, And we'll not do a full show inside the venue with a full audience um, until next February at the earliest. So it will be if not the year that we will be doing um, the show to a full audience. We're hoping to do that pop-up theatre and some 
outdoor performances with a social distance audience. But we're not actually doing what we do as a venue, what our purpose is, three, eleven months a year at least. And so that's huge. And um, the way we work as a venue, like a lot of others, is that we get 11% of our money is from public funding. The other 89% is from revenue that we generate. And we've got a turnover of like 14, 15 million a year, which is a huge amount. Um, and I think next year that will be half. So like six, 6.5 million, something like that, will be less than half. And so obviously that, that's huge. When the furlough scheme came in, uh, a huge amount of the workforce were furloughed. I wasn't in the first instance personally, um, but a couple of months later, I was and then brought back every now and again and got time for that. Um, but the reality, the reality of it is, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, two weeks ago on Monday, we got we, we had a Zoom call, the whole club meeting, and a lot of knew what Zoom call, well, we weren't told what it was, but we knew what it had to be, and that we were making redundancies. Oh. Uh, up to 70 people would lose their jobs. And um, through this redundancy, um, a consultation. Luckily, um, I'm kept on. I'm safe, which is a horrible word. Um, um, but even then, I go down for five days a week to four days a week in 80% of the place, which is fine and very thankful of. Uh, but nobody's doing any more than that. So the current process of doing that, um, yeah, we chose like our department of like six people, which is um, responsible for giving in like 450,000 people a year. There will be two at most. And you know, the production side, all the techies and the money and stuff like that, I don't know the internet else at all, but a lot of them will lose their jobs or not. It's a really part time. And um, now Chief Ozek said it has to be two years until um, it gets back to a new normal. And what he means by that, so is um, hopefully people back in venues before that, but for our finances as a trust and what we were as an organisation every other two years until we get back to the um, so yeah, it's, it's devastating the whole thing. And that's just from my point of view, who has like a salary loan in a big organisation. If you're freelance, or say if you're still dancing that scale, I, I can't imagine. Also, um, furlough isn't is quite straightforward for freelance artists and people who are self-employed. So that brings another thing that lots of artists will be last. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's devastating. And with the money from the government, that 1.5 billion, but this is, this, I, so I understand that there's still no guidance on how you get that money. And they, um, and they say you can do social distance performances, but hardly anything in the rest of the TV public is subsidised can do a social distance performance because you need a capacity of 70% to make money if you can only get in a capacity of. 40% and you can never make money. Anyways, so, um, yeah, a lot of people in that position. And we've made, we're making redundancies, but loads of venues are. I'm doing the Hitler, I'm doing the Met, uh, Royal Exchange in Manchester, to name a few. 
just reducing the staffing costs to a point where you know, we can still put work on, but means that we still exist. I think a lot, a lot of organisations are doing that. Mm. That's really tricky because um, if theatre struggles and if theatre close, if nowhere to perform, that means the touring company and dancers and the performers, actors will struggle, so they will lose the job. So even if you go back to normal eventually, everything will be a scratch, back to scratch, everything, you know, technically we have to rebuild everything. Because I have heard like Andrew Lloyd Waver's uh, Phantom the Operates are permanently closed in London. Stuff like that. So I just don't know how it's going to be lots of empty shops and empty theatres. Yeah, and um, also even if like, to, like tomorrow for example, we can always safe to go back to theatres, everyone can go in. Not everyone will because it is not a case of just you can do it in case of, you can do it and people feel comfortable to do it. That is that trust that goes in there. Um, and also for all organisations, so theatre, producing houses like we are, understanding what the audiences will be, you have to plan for that, do you know what I mean? Like, you have to plan for that in mind, and that's why all the touring shows have gone so quickly because you're a producer of a touring commercial show, you can't go. Tricky times, but hey, Oliver, do you know, for example, like somewhere like Germany, mm-hmm. they got the government really supports arts. So compared to somewhere like Germany, why is the United Kingdom is very different to some other country? Like even the Eastern Europe, they support national theatre and arts. They have got very strong back support of support from the government, but it seems like the United Kingdom doesn't have that much. Support that you know it, they do support, but not the same amount as the rest of the Europe. Why do you think that? Um, I mean, I, d- I don't know a huge amount, but obviously, but I think, as I understand it, um, I think the, the bailout of one point five seven million, this is scope that we're getting from the government, is higher than Germany. But I think Germany. Oh, is that right? I think so. Yeah, but I think in Germany they are subsidised. More than we are. So as I mentioned before, we are then subsidised like eleven percent. Oh, okay. Uh, and eight and over over years, government funding has reduced across the board, uh, across society. And what different venues have had to do is create their own revenue streams more and more. And we as a venue are very successful at that, and a lot of venues have been successful at that. But as you grow more successful, actually, we can make all this money and we can be more sustainable then um when it's going all right you don't need so much money because you don't have as much money to figure out so you don't get as much but then it comes to things like this you've become more and more commercial venue and um, you kind of move away from that idea of right we support this venue in the city because it creates art and you need to make money to sustain yourself but it creates art, which I think obviously has that a bit more, doesn't it? Like the German model and I think the French model is more um, publicly suited up. So, Oliver, what do you think we can do to support art and theatre? Because as you, at the moment, theatre is not fully opened in the U- Wales. I think it's open in the 
England, I'm not so sure. But as you said, even if it's open, if you have to keep the social distance, you know, even if you fill the theatre up, still like let's say 40%, you know, they cannot really make a profit out from the show. So either way, it's a really tricky situation. What do you think we can do from our to support no, rather than just going to the theatre to save the arts and theatre? Um, that's a tricky one. I think, like, for example, if you have bought tickets for sure it's been cancelled. And I appreciate that everyone can do this. So a lot of people can't do this. Um, we've been a lot of venues going, of course, you have a big refund, but think about donating a proportion of that ticket back to us. So we can put this, we can put more shows on. So if you're ever in that situation, so that really does make a difference. If you, you know, even if it's 10, 10 to the hotel, the ticket price, you're able to go in the back. That means that we can do, and if, you know, that we can do things now. And we've done that. And like, fundraising departments are looking for like, you know, philanthropic. And given, but obviously that's people with a huge amount of money. I think if you're in that situation, I think that kind of makes a difference. On an individual person level, it's difficult because the, the, the gap is so huge. You know what I mean? Like it's hundreds of thousands and there's millions of pounds between now and what it should be. And um, so a little bit helps. That is a huge gap too. So I think if you've, if you've got tickets and, you know, you have to do an excellent relief thing, I think. That's right, but also um, when, when it comes back to where people can go in venues, whatever point that, that is, I think the people to trust that the venues will do it properly and that they'll be as safe as, as it can be and that you're comfortable with. That when that does happen, that you have faith in that and trust that and go back when you can. A bit like what the government's saying now, we'd be planning like, um, get out there and spend money to kind of help build the economy. I think it's a bit like that with papers when, when it comes back there. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much for your time. You must be knackered with having uh, three children and it's late. I can see you're almost falling asleep. Oh, are you oh, all right? He's a parent of bags under my hands. Oh, bless you. Having three children must be a hard work. It's all right, it's fun. Yeah, are you doing anything exciting this summer? Going somewhere nice? Like Disneyland or like Florida? Uh, no, we, we went to Centre Park in Cumbria. Cumbria. Oh, nice one, nice one. Oh, are we, do, do you know where um, Bluestone is? Have you heard? Bluestone Resort. Bluestone is like a Welsh fake version of a Centre Park. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. There's an there's a ongoing discussion. Some people say Bluestone is better than Centre Park. Some people say Centre Park is better than Bluestone. So uh, we have always been interested in. So finally, we went last, last weekend. You good? It was okay. It's not, a, it's not a Centre Park. <laughs> it's much cheaper, you know, so. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Ballet, theatre and economy we all need to get to together to move on, to bring a beautiful performance. On my next episode, I'm going to interview my, one of my best friends, Sam Bishop. He's a principal ballet dancer with the Serbian National Ballet. He will tell us all about 
his life of being a ballet dancer in abroad. His challenge, struggle, and success all packed in my next episode. Until then, see you soon.